Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. This week, Pastor continued his stuff series with his new sermon, Regrets. Have you ever wished that you could have a do-over? Anybody? Wish that you could have a do-over? Because you see, I'm guessing in about... uh, I don't know, about eight or nine hours of time, there'll be one team that will say, I wish I could have had a, do- a do-over. See, they'll, they'll crash the field today, and they'll, they'll do what they do, uh, and uh, at the end of it, they'll be a winner, and they'll be a loser, and uh, I'm guessing one of the teams would say, man, I wish we just had a do-over. I wish we could have done that differently. I wish we could have done this differently. If we would have just played more like a team, maybe we could have won or whatever. Today we read a very difficult passage of Scripture, and you know, as everybody sits here and thinks about the idea of having a do-over, there's no doubt that everyone in this room wishes at some point or some time in their life that they could have had a do-over. Like, God, can I have a do-over? I just failed that test. Chances are you'll get to do it over. I remember telling people uh, years ago that I always used to pray for patience. And then God used to send tests all the time. And I kept on failing those tests when it came to patience. And I was like, all right, God, I'm going to stop asking for patience. I'm going to work on a different area of my life, spiritually speaking. And so, you know, the changes in the past, the change, uh, it's hard to change the past. Because that's that old saying, the past is the past, what's done is done. But when we think about do-overs, whether it's in regard to something hateful that you said or something that you didn't say, or loving that you should have said, but you didn't say it. Maybe it's an action that you took that ended up hurting someone, or maybe it was something that you uh, did that not only hurt someone else, but it hurt you. Invariably, a lot of times, sometimes we do things and we think, aha, I got them, but then it turns right around and it ends up causing us the most discomfort of all. And so maybe that's the case with, with, the, with your life. Maybe you made a bad choice, and you're like, God, I don't even want to call it a sin, but I made a bad choice back here uh, personally. I made a bad choice financially, and God, I need your help to get out of it. God, I made a bad choice spiritually. God, I just would ask if you would give me a do-over. Some of the stuff or baggage that we deal with when it comes to this is this idea of sinful regret. And so today I want to talk to you about regret, because when we think of regret... What comes with regret, some of the baggage that comes with regret is guilt. Anybody ever suffered guilt? Shame? Uh, I think sometimes uh, in in a regretful way, when when we have sinful regret, what we do is we isolate ourselves. We, We say, man, I don't want anybody to be around me. I want to get away from everybody because I'm dealing, I'm struggling with regret, and I don't know how to deal with it. I can't have a do-over, and so how, do I, how, do, how am I going to cope? It's like a coping mechanism. We isolate ourselves, and then really, I also think that sometimes uh, regret brings great embarrassment. It brings great embarrassment in our life. In fact, if you think of this passage that Travis read, look back with me in Matthew chapter 27, just the first couple of verses Right away, we look at Judas, and listen, we're not going to stay here and preach the message on Judas, but I think it's important that we catch an idea of what I'm kind of trying to convey uh, through the Holy Spirit and through God's Word today, that, that we might catch something here. But notice, first of all, in verse number 3, 
Travis read, it says here that Judas, he actually uh, repented himself. Now that Greek word there for the word repented actually means to care afterwards, that is to regret. That's exactly what it means. If you look that word up in the Greek, there are different words for that, that are used in the Greek text and even in the Hebrew for the idea of repentance or to repent. This particular word means to care afterwards, i.e. to regret. And this is what we see with Judas. See, not only, it's not really speaking of Judas having a sincere or true repentance. It's speaking of the fact that Judas had regret. He had remorse. He had sorrow for what he had done. But sorrow was not enough for Judas. You see, essentially, being sorry and being guilty for something that happened never does anything for us spiritually. His regret only revealed, though, notice the verse, it says, then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw. Notice the regret, notice his repentance of of sorts, his regret, doesn't come until he actually sees that the Lord Jesus Christ is being condemned. Think about this. Judas walked with Jesus for nearly three years at this point. He's walking with Jesus, and he sees that he's being condemned. It's only then that he says, oh, do-over? I wish I could have had a do-over. And notice, notice what he does, his sinful choice. And the, the regret in his life is wreaking havoc. So much so that he begins to isolate himself. We see nowhere in Scripture that Judas is hanging out with the other disciples. He goes and he betrays Jesus with a kiss, and then he basically disappears until we see this passage. And all the Gospels confirm it when he actually sees that Jesus is being condemned He actually has sorrow. He has this regret that is overcoming in his life. And this is, I I just have to say, listen, isn't this what we do when we isolate ourselves? We isolate ourselves from the very ones that God may be wanting to use to help restore us. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? When, When we see another brother fall, we're supposed to come aside that brother, restore that brother in a spirit of meekness? I think the bad thing is with the, when it comes to regret, we isolate ourselves. We isolate ourselves from one another. And like Judas, we isolate ourselves from God. We say, we say it's almost like we've got Adam's syndrome, right? After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what does the Bible say? Adam went and he hid himself, right? Because he realizes he's naked for the first time. And God says, hey, Adam, where are you? It isn't like God doesn't know where Adam is. It's a rhetorical question. He says, where are you? And Adam says, well, I'm hiding because of my sin. That's what we do. We isolate ourselves. We go into isolation. We hide ourselves. We isolate from one another. We isolate from God, the truth of God's word, the reality of God's grace, and the certainty of his forgiveness. And this is exactly what Judas does. And instead of drawing closer to one another and, and God, many times I think what happens is you and I, We cultivate this idea of isolation by putting other things in the place of God. So instead of hanging out with our biblical godly friends, what we do is we replace those friends with friends who aren't going to ask us about our regret. We replace those friends and we say, hey, it's okay. I'm just going to hang out with these people who don't know God, who don't want to know God, in many cases, who talk dirty about God. I'll just hang out with this crowd a little while until I feel better. Can I tell you, Psalm 1 has a lot to say about that. 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the sinner, and, and, and the scornful, and on and on. Listen, we, we have to be careful who we're hanging out with. I was teaching the fifth grade class today, and it was all about making wise choices when it comes to our friends. And this is what happens. We isolate ourselves and we replace God and we replace the good people that are in our lives with other things. We try to convince our minds and our hearts that everything is okay when in reality, if you're really honest with yourself, you know it's not. You know it's not. When you have sinful regret, you know things aren't right, even though you try to isolate yourself, even though you try to replace that, 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 that void, that chasm that now exists because that wall, that fellowship is broken down between you and the Lord. And so, so we isolate ourselves. Notice also in verse number three and four, notice what the Bible says here. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Notice what he says here in verse number four. He says, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And how embarrassing is this? This is my third thought about Judas really quickly. He embarrasses himself. Listen, he goes and he repents to the very people who paid him to do it. He actually confesses his, his, his sinfulness to the very people who actually gave him money to betray Jesus. How ludicrous is this? Notice what they say. They say, what is that to us? See thou to that. Let me give you the Greg version of that. We could care less. We're not concerned that you now have a conscience. We don't care that you have a problem now. We don't care that you're struggling with regret. That's your problem. That's not our problem. We gave you the money. We paid the freight. Get out of our face. How sad is that? Who does he confess? The chief priests and the elders. The spiritual clan. He goes and he confesses to the spiritual clan. The ones who should have given him spiritual advice. And this is what they do. They say, that's none of our business. Get out of here. It's so crazy to me that Judas would go and he cares enough. This is crazy. He regrets his sin enough to appeal to them, but he doesn't regret his sin enough to appeal to God the Father or, or God the Son. He cares enough to appeal to somebody who has no ability to, to forgive him, who has no ability to take care of his deep regret, but he doesn't care enough to ask God. And the sad part is that we know the rest of the story. In Judas's case, look at verse number 5 again. The Bible says, And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple. You know the, the chief priests and the elders, they had a little discussion about that money after Judas departs off the scene. It's actually, it was used to buy a field. That's another message for another time. He cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and he departs and he went and he hanged himself. Guys, this is what I would refer to and this is what we refer to as unhealthy regret. It's unhealthy to have this type of regret. And actually, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and you have one of the verses in your bulletin there in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10. I would encourage you to read. We're not going to go there for time's sake, but I would encourage you to read from verses 7 all the way through 12. 
This is where Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. And, he, and he's referencing the fact that, you remember in his first letter to the Corinthian church, he's telling them all the things that have been going on in the church. And he's like, you got to correct this. you got to correct that. you got to correct this. And this is not right. And, and he talks about uh, what, he, what he's referencing there in that passage is a worldly sorrow or regret versus a godly sorrow or regret. You see, a worldly sorrow or that type of regret leads to death. But a godly sorrow, Paul talks about, leads unto repentance and salvation. And so it's pretty important that we deal with regret correctly. Now, I put in my notes, sometimes we allow our regrets and past sin to hold us hostage. Anybody ever been held hostage by a past sin or regret? Man, day by day. You feel like you're under the weight of that sin. David talked about that. We were, we were reading uh, the story of David and his sin with Bathsheba. And he talked about how he felt after his repentance. He writes Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. In Psalm 32 and in verses 3 and 4, he talks about how he felt under the weight of his sin and his regret. Oh man, sometimes we, we allow those regrets and past sins to hold us hostage because of our stubbornness. Because of our selfishness, and quite frankly, because of our sinfulness, our attitudes and our habits, we never ever allow, in fact, we resist. We resist every opportunity to actually appropriate God's grace and forgiveness of that sin or that regret. And we keep walking through it. We keep trudging through life thinking, I'll get over it someday. Time out for a second. You won't get over it. Unless you deal with this regret in a biblical way, you'll never get over it. You might be able to hide. Like I said, you may be able to put something in the place that kind of takes up the busyness of your mind. But your mind and your heart, my mind and my heart, they'll never be right. We'll never get over the past regrets that we have, our past sinfulness. We'll never be able to move forward really, truly, honestly, and biblically. We'll never be able to move forward until we take time to deal with it with God. And that's going to require, that's going to require repentance. That's not a word that we like to talk about, but that's what it's going to require. I mean, there's others in scripture who actually experience sinful regret. We could spend a lot of time talking about them, but these people that I'm referencing this morning, I mean, you think about David, he dealt with regret, but he dealt with it in a healthy way. And not only a healthy way, he dealt with it in a biblical way. Same thing with Peter. I mean, you think of David. I mean, uh, you think about the story of David and Bathsheba, and you think about the fact that he dealt with regret in the wrong way for about a year. He tries to hide his sin. Because if you read in 2 Samuel chapter 12, it's after the child is born, after God is displeased with David, that the prophet Nathan comes to him. You say, well, how do you know that it's after the child is born? Well, one of the consequences of David's sin is Nathan says the child will die. The nameless child will die. We never know the child's name. The child is never given a name. We know, though, that Nathan says, because of your sinfulness, one of the consequences, there were a number, one of the consequences is that this child will die. We also know David's sincere repentance. And Nathan says, God has removed your sin. And he also tells David, he says, guess what? Thankfully, God is not going to call you to die. He's going to forgive you. You think about, we could spend some time pondering Peter's denial, his denial of Jesus. Think about how he felt there. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, I would die with you before I deny you. And Jesus says, okay, all right. 
One, two, three. The cock crows. Peter denies him. And as soon as that cock crows, what does he do? He repents. He remembers just like, just like Judas. He remembers the very words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that he had a different type of repentance. He wept bitterly. He had a genuine repentance. And we know how the Lord used him. Well, we could talk about those, but today I simply want to encourage us with a few thoughts from the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, we could have gone in a number of different directions, but when we think about the Apostle Paul, do you think that he had some regrets along the way? I mean, you look at it and you say, man, God used him to write most of the New Testament. Absolutely, he did. But when you think about Paul, before his conversion, some referred to Paul as a missionary of mayhem. He was a missionary of mayhem. If you look in Scripture, the Bible tells us in Galatians 1, verse number 13, it says that Paul sought and sought to persecute and to waste the church. That word waste means his desire was to destroy the church. At the end of Acts chapter 7, we know what's taking place. Stephen is being stoned to death, right? And you know in that passage that they've laid their garments at a younger Saul's feet. Or Paul, they've laid the garments there. And it talks about the fact in verse number 1 of chapter 8 in Acts, it tells us that Paul consented or approved of the barbarous action that they were taking on this man Stephen. But here's the thing. Not only did it said, it said Paul consenting unto his death. That word consenting means that he not only gave a basic consent, that he was rejoicing. He was so excited that they were stoning this man. Now, hold that thought for a second. Fast forward to his conversion. You think he had a regret of that? You think that he struggled a little bit with that thought? When he replays it in his mind, oh, and by the way, don't fool yourself, because you'll always have your regrets with you. You say, well, what if I deal with it in a godly way? It'll still be there tomorrow. You say, well, then what's the use? Oh, there's a big use. Notice what Paul did. Notice what Paul did. It says, it says here in Acts chapter 3, the Bible actually reveals that Paul was like a wild beast. It says that he made a havoc of the church. The word havoc actually means any evil that he could perpetrate on believers is what he wanted to do. Paul said, any way I can bring down believers, any way I can persecute them, any way that I can mistreat anybody who claims to be a believer of Jesus Christ, that's what I want to do. You think he had some regrets? Oh my goodness, you go on in Scripture, in Acts chapter 9, verse number 1, it tells us that Paul, in his anger, it says these words, it says that he breathed out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. This actually alludes to the inward disposition of Paul's mind in that he was full of hatred. He was full of rage. He was full of blood thirstiness. He wanted the blood of Christians. Oh, and what does he do right there after verse number one? He says, um, I volunteer, guys. I'm going to go up to Damascus. You know the story, right? He heads to Damascus for what purpose? To destroy Christians, to find more Christians, to throw more Christians in prison. This is the plight that Paul has. And guys, this is just a sample. We could go on and on and look at, look at Paul's past. But the regret of Paul's past, although it would remain with him forever, did not define Paul. You say, well, how do you know that his past remained with him the rest of his life? Well, in Ephesians 3, somebody turn to Ephesians 3 with me. I didn't ask the guys to put this up, but I think it's important that you see it. In Ephesians chapter 3, 
I want you to see verse number 8. Paul's talking about in verse 7 that he was made a minister according to the gift of the grace that was given unto him. And then in verse number 8 he says, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints. This is what Paul thought of himself. He said, here's what I think of me. I'm least of all the saints. If you look in, uh, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 9, Paul actually said, not only was the least of all the saints, he says, I'm the least of all the apostles. He says, I am an apostle. He tells the church at Corinth, listen, I am an apostle. You need to listen to what I'm saying. God has given me some authority, and I'm writing to you to correct some wrongs. But when he gets near the end of the book of 1 Corinthians, that letter that he writes, he says, I'm the least of all apostles. This is who I am. In fact, if you look over in 1 Timothy 1, in 1 Timothy 1, chapter 1, verse number 15, he's talking about uh, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses sinners. And then he says these words, of who, whom I am chief. He says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I'm the greatest in a negative sense is what he's saying. He says, I'm the worst. I'm the worst sinner there ever was. Can I tell you this? And this isn't just, this isn't, this is reality. That's how we all should see ourselves. I'm the worst sinner ever. And yet God so loved the world, that includes me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul had a right remembrance of his past. I think, it was, I think it was colored in everything he said. He says, listen, I'm the least of those that are worthy to be called a saint. I'm the least of those that are worthy to be called as an apostle. I'm the worst sinner there ever was. And yet, he did not allow his past regret, he did not allow his past sinfulness define him. He said, you know what? There's something ahead of me that is greater than what is in the past. Oh no, on one hand, he never forgot his sinfulness, but on the other, he did not allow the stuff or the baggage of his regrets in the past or in the, peasant, or in the present to dictate his life. Paul never allowed or gave in to self-pity or unproductive anxiety. And that's what regret does a lot of times. We sit around and we stew over our regret. We say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should have done this. I shouldn't have done that. I, I wish I didn't sin with my lips. Well, I wish we didn't either, but we do. I wish I didn't take that action. I wish I didn't say that hurtful thing to my wife. I wish I didn't do that to my child. I wish I didn't behave that way to my parents. And, and on and on, we could create all these different scenarios. But the reality is, we're all made of this stuff called flesh. And it has a bent towards sinfulness, which is why it's so incredibly important that you and I be filled with the Spirit. Because when we are filled with the Spirit, the Bible says that we will walk in the Spirit. Oh, Paul, he never allowed those things to, garner, to, to dictate his future. Instead, he channeled all his memories, all his emotions, all his energies into a relentless desire to make much of Jesus Christ. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. I want to read this passage and then I'm going to give you a few thoughts. If you want to take these thoughts down and then we'll close. Because I think at the end of the day, we need to know how to deal with regret but notice what the Apostle Paul, this is, this, is, this is what he said and wrote it in Scripture for you and I that it might encourage our hearts and challenge us. Look at verse number 10 in chapter 3. He says that I may know him 
and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that which for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Notice what he says in verse number 13. Very familiar passage, very familiar verse. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind. Stop for a second. That means anything that is good and anything that is bad. Paul says, I forget those things that are behind. I haven't attained to any uh, position of notoriety. I am still the least of all saints. I'm still the least of all the apostles. I'm still the chiefest of sinners. He says, but I'm forgetting those things which are behind. Notice what he says. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. And then he says these words. I press. I'm moving forward. I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, our Lord does not want you or I, our sin or our regret, to rob us of our joy today. Okay, let's try that again. Our Lord does not want our sinfulness, our regret, any of the guilt, any of the shame, all of those things that come along with regret. He does not want those things to rob us of our joy. He has a better plan for us. Guys, that's why he said that I not only came to give you life, but I have come to give you life more. He doesn't want you to wallow in regret. He doesn't want you and I to wallow in sinfulness or, or, or the past. He wants us to move forward. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. Listen, the very next verse uh, uh, tells us here, the Paul says in verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, I forgot the things that are behind. I'm looking forward to the things that are in front of me. And so therefore, I'm going to keep on pressing toward the mark. A few years ago, I borrowed Mark's scope. The mark actually is the word skopos. It's the word skopos in the Greek. And it actually means that Paul had a scope in front of him. And he was looking through a scope. And he's saying, I press toward the mark. He says, I've got Jesus in my crosshairs. That's what I'm pressing toward. I don't have time to deal with what's past. I don't have time to deal with what's over here trying to hinder my walk. I don't have time for stinking thinking. i got to keep moving forward. And that's exactly what you and I must do when it comes to our regrets of the past. Paul knew, Paul knew a lot of things. We started our series when I read to you 1 Peter 5, 7. Peter wrote to those, those Jewish uh, believers who were dispersed all over the region of the world at that time. He wrote in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, listen, you need to be casting your care upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. And you remember, we, we read the very next verse that tells us in verse 8, it says, but you need to be sober. You need to be vigilant because your adversary is a roaring lion. And he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. And so remember, I said, at the very first week we started this series on stuff, I said, there's one who cares for us, and there's one who doesn't. There's one who loves us, and there's one who despises us. Listen, Paul knew this, which is why he disciplined himself not to live in the land of yesterday, but he was moving forward. C.S. Lewis once said these words. He says, you can't go back. 
and change the beginning. But you can start where you are and change the ending. You can't go back. He says you can't go back and change the beginning. What's done is done. The past is in the past. You can't go back and change the beginning. But you can start exactly where you are and change the ending with God's help, with his power, with his ability. And that's why I wrote down right underneath it, praise God for second chances. Praise God for third chances. Fourth chances. Anybody needed a fifth yet? (laughs) I wonder... I wish we had like this, you know, like they have these Fitbit watches and things, you know, that keep track of your steps. All I know is I walk a lot. I I don't even know how many steps I walk. But they have the Fitbit, right, Jared? And it tells us how many steps we walk, keeps our heart rate and everything. I wish there was like a little bit that said what chance we're on with God. A spiritual Fitbit. Have I got an idea for Shark Tank? A spiritual Fitbit. Nobody would buy it. Nobody would buy it. Why? Because they don't want to see that. I'm on, I'm on 72,483 chances. Oh, I'm so terrible. No, Paul, you're not the chief of sinners. I am. Oh, man, I'm thankful that God gives us second, third, fourth, and beyond chances. Oh, we can't go back and change the beginning, but we can start where we are and change the ending. So here's the big question for this, and we're going to wrap it up. Here's the big question. What can we do when guilt and shame of our regret continue to traumatize our life? What do we do? I know I'm not the only person that deals with guilt, shame, and regret. Every one of us in this room, if you're breathing, you've got some regret in your past. If you're in this room, you've got some sin in your past. If you're in this room and you're breathing, I'm guessing you have some shame and some guilt of those decisions and those choices that we made in the past. So what do we do? Number one, here here it is real quick, rip-roaring. Number one, stop listening to the wrong voice. The devil hates you. He hates me. Then why do we listen to him? The only one talking to Judas was Satan. Satan had filled up Judas and used him for the, for the intense purposes of betraying Jesus Christ. And Judas listens to the devil's words. Instead of listening to the words of Jesus, who he hung out with, this friend that had sticking closer than a brother to him, he listens to the voice of Satan. I want to encourage you, stop listening to the wrong voice. The devil is out to deceive you. He's out to distract you. And he's out to destroy you. we got to quit giving him the opportunity to speak in our lives. He loves to torment God's people by reminding us every day of our past. He continually holds up our sinfulness even after we've been forgiven for it, right? It's like we we ask the Lord, you know, we get on our knees or whatever and we repent. We say, God, please forgive me. And the devil says, you remember that thing you did? Yeah, keep remembering it. Because see, he wants to deceive us. He wants to distract us. If he can keep us from walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ, he's winning the battle. And as I look around Northern Virginia, as I look around the world, we were in Florida at this pastor's conference, and I was looking, and man, things aren't, just because the weather's warmer doesn't mean spiritually it's warmer. Man, he desires to make us feel dirty. He desires to make us feel unworthy. So I just simply say, stop listening to his lies. Jesus actually told us this in John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus told us that he was a murderer. Speaking of the devil, he says he's a murderer. 
He has no truth in him. And actually in that same verse, he says that when he speaks a lie, he is the lie because he's the father of lies. Why would we listen to a liar? Why would we listen to a murderer? Why would we listen to someone who holds absolutely no truth? And yet we do it every day. So I simply say, stop listening to the wrong voice because that old hymn still says, Jesus paid it all. Not some, not a few things. He paid it all. That's exactly what he did on the cross. His payment was more than sufficient to cover my sinfulness in the past, my sinfulness today, and my sinfulness tomorrow. Now that doesn't mean that I ought to have license to go out and just sin like like it's running rampant. Paul talks about that. Should we sin that God's grace should abound? He says, God forbid, in Romans chapter 6. But God forgives. God says, quit looking in the past. Look forward. Stop listening to the wrong voice. Number two, strengthen yourself with Scripture. If you're a believer here today, you ought to be celebrating what Paul actually wrote to the church at Rome, to those saints that were at Rome in Romans 8, verse number 1. Guys, if you could throw that up there. Notice what Paul says. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Listen, continual condemnation comes from the devil, and it's meant with one purpose in mind. The devil wants to get a stronghold in your mind. He wants to get you thinking that he's right, even though he's wrong. He wants to get you thinking that he's filled with truth and that he is what you need to be following rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. And he constantly condemns, condemns, condemns. And his devices of condemnation are used so that he builds up this idea of strongholds in our mind. But conviction from the Holy Spirit comes to bring about repentance. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. I want to encourage you. We don't have time to even flesh that out. But on your own, do a study of that. There's a huge difference when it comes to being condemned and being convicted. Listen, I was talking about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. There is a difference. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3, the Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Listen, get rid of stinking thinking. A lot of times I counsel people. I counsel people all the time. Guys, throw up Philippians 4, 8 if you can. I counsel people all the time. And I say, man, here's what's wrong. I said, you got, your thinking is wrong and your thinking is wrong. And sometimes when I'm counseling just individual singles or, or one person or the other and not necessarily couples, man, it's amazing how many times we allow that idea of stinking thinking to get a hold of our heart and our life. And it comes from the devil. I tell people, and, and usually you may be recipients of some of my green uh, index cards. I tell people, take five index cards that are really colorful and place them all over wherever you're going to be. If you've got a problem with negative thinking, if you've got a problem with not uh, building yourself up in the faith, spiritually speaking and scripturally speaking, then write this verse down. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, that'll get rid of stinking thinking real quick. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report. And then he says this, Paul says this, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think On these things. Strengthen yourself with Scripture. 
Know the word of God and be strengthened by the word of God. Whenever you feel weak, I tell people, just get a little bit more of the mind of Christ. I told the fifth graders today, you know where we have the mind of Christ? Right here, in his word. You need to be strengthened. Get into God's word. Listen, stop listening to the lies of someone who doesn't love you and be strengthened uh, in God's word. Number three, separate yourself from past regrets. Separate yourself from past regrets. If you have it within your power to do so, fix the problem. I have a regret that this didn't turn out this way. What are you doing about it? And crickets begin to chirp. Typically, that's what we do. See, sometimes we have it within our power to go make wrongs right. But see, what we do is we focus on the wrong things instead of the right things, and then we never get things right with one another. It's like, well, I got a problem with that guy. Have you gone to that guy and talked to that guy? I've got a problem with her. She's always gossiping about ladies in the church. Have you gone to her and encouraged her that that's not biblical? Have you tried to fix the problem? Man, if you have it within your power, fix it. Don't live with regret. But if you don't have it in your power to fix it, then I guess the only thing that we can all do is repent and ask God to fix it. God, we need you to fix this problem. We need you to take care of it. I mean, 1 John 1, 9 is pretty clear. It says that he's faithful and just. It says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our, of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, it's a, that's, a, that's God's word. It's a promise from God's word. Listen, if you need to, uh, uh, to separate yourself from the regrets of the past, c- repent of it. If we're always looking back, we're never ready or fit for what's ahead. I was thinking about reading uh, that passage in Luke, uh, I think it's uh, who, 962, Luke 962, just for principle purposes, where it talks about no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We understand contextually that's a different kind of illustration, but I think the principle is clear there. I think it's clear. Listen, we can't, we can't be concerned with what's ahead, spiritually speaking, if we're always looking in the rearview mirror. If you drive your car out of here today, and you pull out on Route 29 without looking in front of you, but you're looking in the rearview mirror who's coming down the driveway behind you, I dare say someone's going to get in a wreck. We don't, we don't drive a vehicle that way. Why would we drive our life that way? Oh, listen, separate from the past regrets. 1 Corinthians 9 says that we're in a race. I've been reminded through life that this race is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a marathon. We need some help from God. Number four, we must stay humbly in step with the Savior. We must stay humbly in step with the Savior. Micah 6 underscores this sentiment and says these words. It says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Oh, yes, listen. We are His workmanship, Ephesians 2 says. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Oh, listen, unto good works which God hath before ordained that you and I, we should walk in them. I was talking to those that were here on Wednesday night. And one of the verses that we read on Wednesday night was from Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we actually read uh, verses 6 and 7. But throw up verse number 6, because verse number 6 says, As ye therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Walk humbly. Listen, Stay humbly in step with the Savior. And then the last thing I say, if you want to deal with regret, sing praises to the Lord for His love, for His goodness, 
but then also for his power. Sing praises to the Lord. You're dealing with some past regret? You're dealing with some past sinfulness? How about start by repenting of it, but also singing praises to the Lord? Listen, we should forever be thanking the Lord for the fact that he has saved us and called us, as, Second P- as Second Peter, uh, or 1 Peter 2.9 says, he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Have you thanked him lately? I think we get comfortable with our salvation. You know, we repent when we're 13 or 14 years of age, some later, some earlier. For me, I was 13. And we repent of our sin. We ask God to forgive us. We ask the Lord to come into our heart to take up residence and, and to begin a work inside of our lives. And, and then we get busy with life. We get busy with life. And if we're not careful, we start listening to the lies of the devil. If we're not careful, we separate or isolate ourselves from the ones who God may want to use to encourage our hearts. If we're not careful, we begin not only to listen to the liar, but we begin to stop listening to the Savior. Man, I want to encourage you. Thank God for his love, for his goodness, and for his power. The fact that we could even be redeemed is mind-boggling to me. Why would God provide, oh, such a great salvation? Listen, as Christians, we know whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And this is a hard verse to take, especially when you go through some hard times. But we know that with God, all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Why? If you go on verse 29, the reason he says he does that is to conform us more to the image of his dear son. Regrets. Don't let them hold you hostage any longer. The Apostle Paul didn't, David didn't, Peter didn't, and on and on. We could go through Scripture and see where people... Man, I would dare say that there's no one in Scripture that didn't deal with regret. And you say, well, hold on. What about your favorite uh, Bible character? For those of you that don't know, my favorite Bible character is Enoch. The only thing we know about Enoch is that he pleased the Lord. He had that testimony that he pleased the Lord. And because he pleased the Lord... The Lord took him out and said, no, you're not even going to see death. Oh, man, what a testimony. But I, I dare say David was a man after God's own heart, but he had some regret, didn't he? Oh, listen, you can be a man or a woman after God's own heart and still have regret. But I want to caution you. There's a fine line between regret and repentance. I was talking to my wife and she says certain things, and I have certain sayings that I put. And I was talking to her about this fine line between regret and repentance. Regret is like saying I'm sorry, but never doing anything about it. Repentance says, God, I'm so sorry. I apologize for my sin. I repent of my sin. That word repentance, and you guys know this if you've been been in church circles, if this is your first time, this may be the first time you've seen this illustration, that word repentance actually has this, this picture of doing a 180. You're walking this way, you say, God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to stop going that way. I'm going to start going your way, God. There's a fine line between re- repentance and regret. I encourage you, make the right choice today in dealing with your regret. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.